remember being on the stage and putting on the little hat that I wore as the gremlin and jumping around the stage and I could feel that they were not responding to it. Welcome and thank you for listening to Almost Almost Famous, the podcast where actors, writers, comedians talk about the ups and downs, ebbs and flows we're working towards making in this crazy biz and how they're almost almost famous. I'm your host, Daniel Acker. Today's guest does fantastic sketches and impressions you can see on Instagram and TikTok. He played a Mormon in the recent season finale of Curb Your Enthusiasm, and you can see him on the Showtime series. I love that for you. It's none other than Jono Wilson. Ah, thank you, Daniel. Thank you for having me. Of course. Thanks for being on. <laughs> of course. Oh my gosh. Good to see you. <laughs> Good to let's, see you too. Let's jump right into it. We know each other, but we don't know, I guess, each other's backgrounds or histories as well. Uh, how did you get into kind of acting and comedy? Were you just the performer as a child or was this a later in life development? It's funny because it it was never, I mean, the funny thing is, is after I moved out here, I'd gone back home to visit my family and my mom had like pulled out a journal I had in the first grade. And on the first page of it, it said, when I grow up, I want to be an actor and live in Los Angeles because that's where all the acting jobs are. So very, very practical as a six-year-old. Yeah. Um, but, uh, you know, growing up, I just, I really did. I, I mean, I loved SNL. I used to do um, impressions of uh, my teachers with my friends uh, in the carpool to school. We would shoot. I went to an all boys Catholic high school, so we didn't have many girlfriends. You know, it was like <laughs> just the guys hanging out all the time. And so we would get together on like a Friday night and we would shoot fake commercials like they did on SNL. And that was like the best thing in the world. And so one of my best friends who I did all this stuff with growing up um, after we had gone to college and graduated and we both had had, you know, jobs. I was a consultant in DC. Um, he on a whim moved to LA with his two buddies. He went to Harvard with who have since become two of my best friends. And he was like, listen, Jono, we've always, we've always talked about doing this stuff. We have a, spot on our couch in Beverly Hills. Why don't you just move out? And I said, you know, at the time I had contacted an acting teacher I had at uh, Georgetown in college. And I was like, how can I do things locally? And so I was doing like local commercials. I was in sexual assault training for the army. Uh, <laughs> you know, I was booking roles left and right. right. So it was like, why don't, why don't I just give it a shot? And so I moved out here. That's, you know, now 11 years ago. Wow. So, yeah. yeah, you got into consulting, you went to Georgetown. Where did you grow up? What? Uh... I grew up in Massachusetts. Okay, that's what I thought. In so, Central did you have Mass. any interest in getting into politics or being in DC or any part of that world or just no. kind of was the place? No, it was like, it was this weird, these two things that I wanted. Like, I wanted to be like taken seriously. And, you know, I got good grades in high school, I got good grades in college, but like, I also wanted the performance side. So I remember when I was having interviews at Georgetown to, to get into the school, I told them that I wanted to be the next Matt Lauer, which in retrospect, you know, mm -hmm. that's Maybe. not what I, what I wanted, <laughs> but I was like, so I, I can be on TV, but I'll be talking about, you know, politics and news and stuff like that. So it was like kind of the best of both worlds. But like in reality, no, I didn't really want to be a journalist. I wanted to be an actor doing comedy. I wanted to be, you know, Phil Hartman or or Dana Carvey or, you know, yeah, Jim Carrey, you know? Yeah. 
Uh, Good for your friend to, to get you out here 11 years ago because totally. it was the right move and the thing that needed to happen. <laughs> um, I do love those moments where it's like you probably didn't even remember as a six-year-old writing that in a no. journal. Like, no. Just kind of the, I guess, knowing yourself before you even knew yourself of just like, what? Like, well, I think it's also like like we're talking about saying, oh, I want to be a journalist because you're you're responding to like outside your own made-up outside expectations do you know what i mean like yes you think people are going to see you this way so i better i better like nip that in the bud and say no i i have a serious life yes i'm not just goofing around in la you know but like when you're little you don't have any conception of you know what people think of you you're just like i want to be an actor that's it i want to be an astronaut you know exactly i feel like with the ones who put astronaut i wonder how many actually followed through on that that seems probably a smaller percentage than the people who say actor yes (laughs) so over the years of pursuing this uh how would you define success for yourself or do you have a definition you know i i think because this this career is so subjective um there are so many different ways to define success because you know you could define success as just going on stage and doing a live show and just really crushing like that is success. Like actually getting up, being able to work your way up to so that you get on a stage, whether it's stand up or sketch or improv or whatever you've had, you have to work your way up to that. And then to make a room full of strangers laugh for a comedian, I'm like, that is success. 100% that success. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, after I, uh, got, I love that for you after the um, premiere, my agent called me the next day and he was like, you know, I got home and I just said to, to my wife, I was like, you know, I've worked my career on developing uh, talent. And I just thought about Jono and I was like, you know, anybody can say they tested for SNL or they almost got this show or they almost did this or whatever. But he was like, but you actually did it like you're on a, you're in every episode of a show on a premium cable network like that's it. So that's also success. So, I, I, you know, you hear people talk about like they're like circles in this industry. And, and once you get into one circle, you try to get into the smaller one, you try to get into the smaller one, you try to, and you like moving up the rungs. So I think there's success. It's kind of the good thing. There's success at any turn. Mm-hmm. You can and and you need to like be cognizant of that and kind of pat yourself on the back when you do just get up on stage and you make some people laugh. It's like great job, you succeeded. Yeah, I agree. Mm-hmm. I think I think you're talking about the idea of success being truly about a self perspective of like yes. realizing, uh, acknowledging the milestones as they happen, acknowledging yeah. the wins because we are in a business where to anyone else, you know. If they if they can't see it, if it's not on TV, if you didn't book, they don't know what you're doing. But I yeah. I try to remind myself. I celebrate callbacks. You know, I celebrate just the like. And you should the next because, like, steps because that's what it is. It's these yes. little victories. Yes, and you get a callback, and then after the callback, it's pure luck. I mean, yeah. it's not pure luck, but like so much of it is luck and timing and who's available and what you look like versus another person who's got the other role and all yeah. this random stuff. Uh, let's talk sure. about uh, you getting, I love that for you. Cause if you have not seen the show, it's on Showtime. It is incredible. It's super funny. It stars 
Molly Shannon, Vanessa Bayer, uh, just an all-star cast. And Jono is a series regular. And your character is fantastic. It's so funny. <laughs> Thank you. He's such an, a kind you. of an enigma, a weirdo, but lovable. <laughs> like, yeah, talk about that whole process. What was that? What was that like? That must well, like, been... just talking about... Um just talking about like the randomness of it all. Um, I got this audition um, a month or two months before it started filming. And it was one of the first times where I was like, I don't want, I'm not going to do any digging on what the show is, who's involved, any of that. I don't want to be attached to the outcome. I just want to do it. And so I get the audition. I read the description of the character and it was like, he's a star and he knows it. He hosts Perry's kitchen corner on SVN, the QVC type station. Uh, is he straight? Is he gay? We don't know. And immediately I was living with a, a friend of mine, uh, Greg Hughes, and we would, we would hang out in the house and I would just do this voice when I was being passive aggressive about stuff like roommate stuff. Like I'd just be like, Greg, when are you going to put these dishes away? They've been sitting in the sink for an hour, you know, like, and I immediately when I got the audition, I was like, I'm just going to do that because I, I have fun doing it, whatever. So I did that. Um, got a call back, a producer session and um, did it on Zoom. Uh, I didn't know Michael Showalter was involved until he popped on the Zoom. And it was after I did the first scene. So I was like, I'm glad I didn't do any research because I would have been a little intimidated. Right. Um, and I just I just like had fun. It was one of those things where you just you, you're not trying too hard. You just have fun. And I had done that voice with my roommate so much that it was like easy to improvise and stuff. And then I came to find out after I booked it. And, you know, of course, like we get an email from casting. It's like, John was the creative choice, but now we need Annapurna to pass on him. And then we need Showtime to pass on him. And so it's like you're this waiting game for like two days where you're just completely stressed out and trying to say to yourself, like, you know what, though? I did what I wanted. I had fun. <laughs> That's it. That's all I can ask for. That's all I can ask for. But of course, there's a part of you being like, but I really want this, you know? Right. Um. I came to find out they had already shot the pilot about a year prior and they had somebody playing Perry. And for some reason he left the project. They said, we'll go out and find someone else. And then I got the chance. So like they went to their top tier choices of people. I didn't go out for it the first time that didn't work out because of conflicts or whatever. Then they went back out and they went to the, like the second tier of people. And I just happened to get, in there i've been doing this voice with my roommate as a joke it it just all kind of came together in the right way oh i love that i mean yeah, yeah. That's, we hear so many stories like that where it's just like schedule conflict this happened and by luck that person happened to be the, like you know you just get a chance just that's all it is it's just give me yeah. you know as many chances as you can because I, I, what i like about this character for you is you're not from the South, but it doesn't feel like a caricature. Like it feels like a very natural kind of like, do you have friends from the South and you draw no. them that? You just no. like pull it no. from characters and impressions and things you've done. Yeah. Like yeah. somebody, somebody said to me like, actually that's a very good uh, Georgia accent. I was like, there's a different accent in the South from Georgia to Arkansas to like, I just, Frankly, I'm just winging it. Like, I, I know a lot of people who are like, 
I did all this research and I did this stuff. I'm, I truly believe that it's way more about feel. It's way more about like, is it in your gut? Is it in your body? And do you feel like you can be that character? And I just felt like I could, and I just did it. And it happened to, you know, I think also like talking of subjectivity, like people will watch something and be like, Oh, that's a, that's a great choice. Yeah. Newsflash. I didn't make a choice. Like I just kind of did it, right. you know? So, I love it. Cause now you get to be like, oh, right, right, right. And then like a little sheep be like, Perry's from Georgia. Yeah. <laughs> Tell me more. Well, I did that. the like, audition. I like literally did not know that he was from, it just said a good old Southern boy. And then in the pilot, it was like, I'm a Georgia boy born and bred. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It works. It's great. Um, what was it like? Because you've mentioned that you have tested for SNL. You've had that experience. You've done that twice. Like what's, you know, I've talked to some people who have done it. It seems like such a such a whirlwind. It is such a whirlwind. Um, it was when I was doing my second six months of uh, the Sunday company at the Groundlings. And in a way, I think you know, after the first six months, it was like a bloodbath. Like so many people got cut people who I didn't think should have gotten cut. Uh, and, but in a way it was, you know, selfishly good for me because there were only seven people in the company and we had Karen Mariama, who is just, I think like the queen of, of sketch comedy. She's just such an amazing director. And she was like, I don't care that we only have seven people. We're still putting out 20 plus sketches per, per show because People are coming in, they're paying 16 bucks or whatever it is for a ticket. We're going to give them a good show. Like you're going to work your asses off and we're going to do it. And so it really pushed all of us to create, 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 create. So I was lucky that it happened to, again, timing. I was lucky that it happened that that six months was over the summer when SNL comes and they check out your show. Uh, it, there was something like Lindsay shook us who's the head of casting there. Lindsay then said, let's do a, just a showcase. There are only seven people in the Sunday company. We'll see all of them. And then we'll see a couple of people in the main company. And because of that, we just did five to seven minutes of characters and impressions. And I've always done impressions and I've done like micro impressions where it's just a quick joke as that person I can move on. And I feel like that definitely set me apart in that group because I just rattled off like 12 impressions or something at the end after doing characters and, you know, a couple weeks go by and uh, I get called into the office at the groundlings and they're like, SNL is contacting your reps. They want to um, fly you out and audition you. And it was kind of like, you know, one of those things where your whole body gets boiling hot and you're like, I, I, what do I, what do I do? And so, um, that all happened. You like sign a contract, you fly out to LA, I mean, to New York from LA. And, um, it's, they, they, I don't know if they purposely do it, but it felt like you get iced because you show up there at four o'clock. You don't go on stage until nine and they keep coming in and saying 15 more minutes, 15 more minutes, 15 more minutes. It's like, and then they pull you and like, I've, I've been running everything so much. And then they just throw you out on the stage and you do it and you do just black out. you black out. And walk off the stage. And I remember the guy who was operating the camera was like, great job, man. Great job. And I was like, I'm, I'm going to be on the show. It's over. I'm going to be on the show. Like, I don't remember doing it, but I know that it went really well. And then of course you don't hear anything. They fly you back to LA 
two more weeks go by, I get a call uh, from Lindsay saying, we want to see you come back, do more stuff. Um, you can bring back the, this character, these impressions, and then we want to see all new stuff. And I'm like, well, I already gave you my A material. And I remember at the time I had been doing a character. It was a gremlin at an HOA meeting. And I was like, this is going to be my Will Ferrell moment. Like, you know how he did like the cat, the cat. on the stage. I was like, mm -hmm. I'm going to be a gremlin. And they're going to be like, wow, this guy can play an angry dad and also a gremlin. And I told my agent I was doing that. And he was like, listen, it just takes one thing for them to say no. Are you sure you want to do the gremlin? And I was like, you don't get comedy, dude. I'm doing it. And I remember being on the stage and putting on the little hat that I wore as the gremlin and jumping around the stage. And I could feel that they were not responding to it. <laughs> so uh, it didn't happen. And then, you know, I despised the show for the next two years <laughs> and <laughs> eventually got over it, you know. Right. I mean, it's also one of those things where, you know, that is a audition process where I've heard some people like, oh, I've auditioned many times. And then it's yeah you know, like oh i didn't think and then years later it's like oh yeah and then they saw me again like it's it's not it's it does consistently every year anytime you throw a tape out or you try to audition or do stuff it feels like the door shut but that is one yeah. of those weird ones where it's just like they just close it slightly it's yeah like a little they're crack still like, like they're peeking at you through the crack yeah they're <laughs> every waiting. now and then they're coming back taking a peek and going back away yeah uh yeah, they, but, you know, I think also, like, I did JFL for the first time last year. Like, I did the the callback auditions for it. Mm -hmm. And I did it, and I was like, oh, I think I'm I'm not, this is not my thing anymore. You know? Mm -hmm. I, I think I'm done. I think I'm done with this kind of stuff, which is okay. It's okay. Like, I've kind of moved on from hoping I could get on SNL. And, you know, now this, I love that for you you know, I pray to God we get a second season, but it's with all these people from SNL who I like love. Yeah. You no know, people who created stuff that I have loved for years. You're a very, very gifted impressionist. Is that like, how did you kind of come to realize that you have that skill and what are some kind of impressions you, you lean towards or your style? You said you like micro impressions, but talk about that process, if you will. Um, You know, it was like, when I was really little, I loved Dana Carvey's stand-up, and I obviously like loved Robin Williams. And I re I vividly remember watching Dana Carvey's bit in um one of his earlier specials where he's doing Jimmy Stewart getting pulled over by Catherine Hepburn. Um, and when I was younger, I didn't realize that it was pretty off color. <laughs> I didn't like know what was going on. Like, uh, and, but I remember the Jimmy Stewart voice and I was like, you know, seven years old and I was, it, cause he did this thing. There's like a sexual act that takes place <laughs> and Jimmy Stewart's doing this thing where he's going like, wow, wow, like that. And I was like, I just kind of like started doing that and started doing a voice. So, you know, like my grandmother loved when I was saying like, wow, oh, Grammy, oh, I remember Merry Christmas, you know, like, and she'd be like, what is this kid doing at Jimmy? St he doesn't even know who Jimmy Stewart is. Yeah. And then I watched like Aladdin and I remember like Robin Williams doing these impressions in the cartoon and like the face would change. Like he would do Jack 
uh, Nicholson and the eyebrows would go up and he'd start talking like this. And I also like, like to draw cartoons. So I started like drawing cartoon faces of celebrities like Jack Nicholson and then trying to like do it with my face and uh, Sylvester Stallone and trying to make the face, you know, and I, so I, I think it's kind of like learning a language. If you do it when you're younger, it kind of stays with you. Mm. Um, and so it just developed. And then I was doing it of our teacher uh, about our teachers and stuff. And um, it just kind of was something I always did. I didn't think of it as being like, even like a talent. It was just something that made my friends laugh. Um, and now it's like, I, I really only do them when I start, I, will randomly like come up with a, a take on them that I think is silly and funny. And then I just like run it into the ground. <laughs> like yeah. if I'm doing Mark Wahlberg, he's always out of sorts. He's always feeling like he's being wronged. And he always calls for his older brother, Donnie Wahlberg to like back him up in a fight. Like that's the way every single one of my <laughs> Mark Wahlberg impressions ends, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and it's just, yeah, it's like that. It's like, if I enjoy something about, a character version of this impression that I come up with and I just run with it. Right. I like the idea of, of thinking of it. It's like a, it's like a language. And yeah, yeah, if you, if you kind of were doing it when you were younger, there's a little like muscle memory or things that click. Um, yes. Uh, yeah. I always find like, cause I, I wasn't really an impressionist as I was younger. I had to like develop it later a little yeah. bit. And I don't think I'm nowhere near the level skill you have, but for me, it's always like, I just need to find like the one word I can yes. say as the person and then I just keep repeating it until I can start to add more to it. Yeah. And you find the sounds like when I, when I came up with like Owen Wilson, I was watching a um, interview because everybody does Owen Wilson where it's like, right. like that. But I, I was watching an interview on Jimmy Kimmel and he was talking about doing the movie Midnight in Paris and how um, Woody Allen had uh, a dog on set. And he just kept saying dog, dog. And I was like, oh, oh, talk, dog, oh, oh. like that's him. There he is. Yeah. You got it. And then you just, like you're saying, then you just run with that. It. What are your thoughts and feelings for yourself on the idea of being rich and famous? Like, where does your head go with, with that? Yeah. I want to be rich and famous. Yeah. I have no, <laughs> I have no qualms about saying it. I want to be a, a big movie star and be rich and famous. I think the other, the, the thing to, to think about though, is like, rich is you know i've heard a thing where it's like once you make a certain amount then your happiness totally plateaus and because i've spent you know nine years in la with no money and a lot of debt i know that i can i don't need a ton of money i don't need to live in a mansion in the hills of the you know all that stuff i mean i would like a pool but uh (laughs) but um so that's not even really as like important to me as when I think about being famous, I really just want to be like a known entity in the industry because honestly, like when I tell people about, I love that for you. And I mention people involved who I'm like, everybody knows who this is. People are like, who's that? Oh yeah. I think I know who that is. Oh yeah. It's like, people don't care. Outside of this, people don't care what who you are and how how famous you are and 
you know, if you're walking your dog on Laurel Canyon and drinking a coffee and there's a picture of you and us week, nobody cares. People just want to watch stuff on their TV or in a movie theater that makes them feel something or laugh or cry or whatever. And very much like Nicole Kidman says in the AMC commercials. And um, I, I just, I just want to be at a place where someone is writing a script and they say, you know, who would be great to do this, to bring this to life, John O. Wilson. Like that's the fame that I hope to get at some point. Yes. And like you said, just being kind of, I guess, well-liked, well-known in the industry, if nothing else to hopefully beget more work. Exactly. How do you, or how have you handled kind of the highs and the lows? Like what do you do for yourself personally to ride those, those various times? I mean, honestly, I just, I know that they're going to happen. I'm like cognizant of the fact that they are going to happen. I know that there's going to be days when I'm down and frustrated. And I think just having the knowledge that you're, you're going to have the ups and the downs and giving yourself permission to have them is the best thing you can do, mm -hmm. you know? And, and my parents will, will always say like, if I'm just having like a, bad day or I mean listen I was like last fall before any of this stuff happened and I knew Curb Your Enthusiasm was coming out in December and it was like November and I was so low I was like everything sucks no one cares about me I've been trying so hard for so long and nothing is ever happening like why are these people working and I'm not like what's going on and I was so frustrated and my parents will always just say like you know you've made the decision to make this your life. It is your life. So yeah, feel down for a little while and then keep moving forward because you're not going to go back to being a consultant in DC. It's over. You're, this is your life now. So keep pushing forward. Accept it. Yeah. Yeah. There's something that happens and you the same way. Everyone I talk to the same way. It's like all the downtime, all the lulls, all the struggle, all the work, get erased the moment you step on stage and you get a laugh. Like it yes. really just becomes like, Oh, right. There is like, I look at it like each person, like, Oh, I have like a gift. I have a skill with comedy when mm -hmm. I'm performing for mm -hmm. my style. Like I know how I operate and I can get these mm -hmm. laughs just like you can. And you just go, that's what it is. Totally. When you say like, do you want to be rich and famous? It's like, yeah, of course. I mean, yes, but, but it, it isn't, like it's, it isn't about that. It isn't about that. It is about um, doing the work and, and having people like the, the fame aspect of it. It's like when somebody comes up to you and says, when you did that, it made me laugh so hard. Oh my God. I loved that. It's the same thing as like doing charity. It's like selfish because it makes you feel good, but you're also making someone else feel good. Yeah. You know? Yeah. It's totally, yeah. You want to be famous for the thing you love doing. It's the yeah. perk. It's the perk of this job. The yes. money and the fame is a potential perk. I'll just hop on a stage for free. Get well, I've had I've had these conversations recently with friends from either from the Groundlings or just from like improv. Like, I really do have nostalgia for, you know, the year and a half after I had moved here and I got on a couple improv teams and we would go to the Neon Venus. Did you ever perform at the Neon Venus? Oh yeah, bathroom behind yeah. you. Oh yes, yeah. like and down the well. street from the Groundlings, and it was you know I think thirty five people could maybe fit in there, so it was just literally every team. The bathroom, yeah, is behind the stage. Yeah, yeah, like that. Those nights were, uh, you know, I remember being like 
oh, what a pain in the ass. I live in Santa Monica. I have to drive an hour and a half to go to the, but then like you get a drink, you see everyone, you're building a community, you make each other laugh on stage. Then you go out together after it was like the best. Yeah. The best. Yeah. Those early days were taking classes everywhere. I was on like two or three different improv teams yeah. doing shows all over yep. and just being like, this is great. Yeah. It's great. If you feel like you keep kind of growing and building and yeah. that's part of it, like the community's huge and all that stuff. Now you do uh, improv and sketch. Did you ever dabble or do you do stand up as well? I did um, for a little bit. I mean, <clears throat> you know, I like like improv becomes a community and, and you're doing it three to four nights a week on different random stages. That's you have to if you want to be a stand up, you have to do that, too. And I just never did that because I was kind of in between these two worlds but i i when i was waiting for you know one of the classes um there was like you know a two and a half year wait list and i was like i need to figure out something else to do and i need to start doing some stand-up so i did do stand-up for a while and um it was just tough like I, I i felt like i was pretty good at it i was more of like a storyteller person and then i started to bring impressions into it and that was always helpful um but it was just so hard to get booked on booked on shows it yeah. was so hard you know people you know they build their community they know who they vibe well with they know how to put a show together if this guy does this kind of thing and this guy does and so um you know, I did. I just didn't really like go all in for stand up. I didn't yeah. feel like that was my thing. I felt like sketch was way more my thing. Yeah, I think just doing some stand up is good for any performer, for two reasons: one, to really hone and learn how to write a joke and how yeah. to craft comedy, how to say something through your voice, find your point of view, and also stand up is the most consistent way to to bomb and die on stage and get yeah. used to it because improv if i'm bombing i can get him back i know myself i know i totally. can be like get out of it sketch. or you can get out of the scene <laughs> oh, yeah literally yeah. i can literally someone will save you no one's saving you on the stand-up stage no one's saving you and with sketch i go okay i'm trying something three four five minutes they're not feeling it i'm into something new later and we're fine with stand-up it's like this is me as a human being in front of you telling you jokes i thought were funny as i typed them in my kitchen you know like just really yes. just like apologies all around and in, and in improv like you're like you said you're trying something out like you come out you come out as a gremlin in an HOA meeting and it doesn't work and then you come out as something totally different later when you're in stand-up it's like this is the vibe you're gonna get oh you're not on board well get ready for 10 more minutes of this exact <laughs> vibe right it's like I got I got no other moves people I yeah trying to do my set I'm trying to survive <laughs> But I do feel like it's such a good skill to realize like, oh, that's an awful feeling. I don't like that feeling, but I survived that feeling and I can keep surviving that feeling. Like that's yes. part of it. And to know that, you know, Larry David has bombed a bunch. Jerry Seinfeld has bombed a bunch. Chris Rock has bombed a bunch. All these amazing standups have also bombed. Every single person bombs. Yeah, there's you no know? way around it. You're no. not going to have a flawless, perfect show every single no. time. And it's just, it's just part of the muscle, just exercising yeah. it. Yeah. Um, now, speaking of going through this career, do you feel like you've received or gotten any, any bad advice? It's interesting. I, I don't know if I've gotten like bad advice, but I think that I've uh, seen 
examples of what not to do. Um, I, I think, and one of the biggest things is, and we kind of touched on it earlier, but like, you know, making something the most important thing is, is detrimental because you're just always going to get let down. I mean, like when you get, you start doing the groundlings and you start moving through the, the levels there, you do start to, it becomes your whole world. And you do start to think like, this is the most important thing. And it's not, it's not, you know, every show feels like it's so important and you have to have a good sketch in, or you have to have a good solo sketch in, or you, you, and it it doesn't matter. It, that just as this example, that is there to teach you skills, just like, you know, you can't make every stand-up show the most important thing because you will bomb, but you'll learn something from it. So I think the worst advice someone could get is to put all your eggs in a basket, you know, to say you move to LA to go into the groundlings or used to go into UCB to get discovered by SNL, to get on SNL and to work there for seven years and then become the next whoever that is a recipe for disaster. The, the industry is go, like your career is going to happen and you need to be able to go with it. You cannot plan for anything. Right. You know, it's the same thing as like this audition for this, for, I love that for you. I was like, I don't need to know. I don't need to know anything. I'm just going to put myself out there with no expectation, no worries about what it could mean or, you know what I mean? Like, yeah you know, people around you will say like, this is really important. This is it. Like, this is the big stuff. Like, Oh my God, you passed that. Oh yeah. That's you're on your way. You know, it's like, no, no. They're just moments. They're just things in my life that I've done and we keep moving. Speaking of uh, moments in your life, this is the part of the podcast where Raz Clifford, the insult comic comes out to take, take the guests down a peg. Great. So we're going to (laughs) bring it. We're going to bring out Raz. Come on out Raz. Here we go. Oh God, it's Jono Wilson. Oh no. Hey Raz. Hey Jono. You know Wilson is a very fitting last name because just like the volleyball from Castaway, Jono is white, a good listener, and hopefully one day we'll be adrift at sea. <laughs> now I have to ask, when did you shorten your name to Jono from John? No, 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 no. Anyone but this idiot. Good God, no. <laughs> is that a I actually lengthened it from John to Jono. Oh, okay. Perhaps John, yes. Okay, for the listeners, let me paint a picture of Jono. He he looks like a Mormon youth pastor with the charm and scariness of Ted Bundy. <laughs> so there you go. Uh, now, let me double check because I, I can't be sure of this. It says my notes on my notes, you're a series regular on a show called I Love That For You. I'm technically still a guest star, but I was in every episode. Yes. Okay. Well, I hate that for me. Oh my God. <laughs> regardless. <laughs> regardless. Regardless. You hate it. I hate it. You getting work. Yikes. <laughs> this business is really going downhill fast. Now, Jono is a fantastic impressionist, his words. Uh, <laughs> but I find that very ironic because he's made zero impression on me. <laughs> And now to give you some words of advice, Jono. Oh, yes. Give up. Boom. I had to resum. Do not talk to me on set. Do not look at me. The last thing I need is to get into a conversation that will put me to sleep. 
appreciate the advice, Mr. Clifford. Okay, bye. Bye, Raz. <laughs> he, he gets out of here pretty quick. If not acting in comedy, what career do you feel like you'd want? Granted, I say this to everyone, and everyone I know is like, no, they're doing what they're supposed to be doing. So yeah. it's really just kind of a crapshoot of like, oh, I guess, you know, that is of interest or uh, an area I'd like to explore. It's so tough because I feel like like my makeup would be like, all right, <clears throat> I wouldn't want to do this, but I'd probably be doing something in business because that would just like be what I would, that's just what I would do. But I think maybe if I had a choice and I wasn't thinking practically about anything, it would maybe be like a, um, like a golf pro at a country club. I think that could be a fun life. And I'm assuming you play and enjoy golf or you just like, no, never, not? never picked up a club. <laughs> Yeah, no, I've played since I was like a little kid. So, I mean, that's been one of my like best releases in this industry. It's like, it's, I just concentrate, like take four hours in a day and concentrate on that and like try to get better. And, and uh, it totally gets my mind separated from whatever BS I'm getting in the weeds about, about this industry, you know? I feel like that you could still do that as a side gig. Like whenever there's a lull, just be like, yeah, I'll just go be a golf pro. I'll just hang I out. Was I was a caddy. I was a caddy at LA country club when I first moved out here, which was, you know, not the pro, but similar, similar lifestyle. Yeah. Yeah. Very nice. I love it. Golf is just a whole world. I've never, never yeah. been able to get into. A lot of people have it. A lot of people yeah. have it. Just kind of like, okay. I love Papa and I love going to the driving range. Those two together seem like a nightmare. It's a bit. Yeah. It's a big time suck. Yeah, for sure. But I totally, as like, you know, as someone who played like seven, eight hour stints of D and D, I understand, like I can do something for a long time. And I understand yeah. the idea of like, this is what we're doing. It's just several hours. Hopefully you're with a group of friends and you're chatting. Yes. It, it also seems like an activity where it's like, Oh, someone is, you know, driving or putting and so they're focused on that but then the other people are just like chatting and it's like one at a time yes like a little bit I like think a, it's a yeah it's a great way to have conversations with people especially if you like don't know them that well but you're getting to know them because the awkward silences are they have to be there when you're playing golf you're supposed to be quiet a lot so if you think of something to talk about it then you can talk about it or you can just talk about the round um and so i love that and then i also you know a lot of people just go out on the course and play by themselves and you play with a total random stranger and you get to know about their like you know a couple of weeks ago i played with a, a random guy who was thrown into our group and i was like what are you doing he's like a, a private jet pilot like how interesting and just talk about his life and he works for this one family and they're based out of Scottsdale, but they're always coming out it was cool That's and awesome. he had no idea who molly shannon was no <laughs> idea yeah i was like huh this round is really teaching me something. Yeah. <laughs> then what you should do is tell Molly next time you see her, be like, you need to hire this guy to fly you around. And then you go up to him and be like, so you don't know who I am? Now, yeah. <laughs> now, will you remember? Now, what do you think of Molly Shannon? Yeah. Pretty impressive, huh? Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Once around the world, please. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I ask all guests uh, eventually, and if you have been, forgive me, but inevitably when you're a guest on a late night talk show, do you have a story you'd love to tell? I sure do. Yes. Uh, 
when I was caddying at Los Angeles Country Club, I um met a guy who really nice guy and he would uh ask for me to caddy for him every now and then and got to know each other and I told him that I was acting and I was in the groundlings and um at that point I had my first agent and she sent a tape in to SNL and SNL responded and said, send us another tape. We do like this stuff. And um, one day I get called up and I walk up to the first tee and there's this huge orange uh, USC bag. And on the front of it, it says Will Ferrell. And the member said to me, you're caddying for Will today. I said, oh my God. Okay. Okay, cool. And I thought to myself, you know what? Let this guy just have a good round of golf. Don't talk to him about the groundlings or SNL or anything like that. And from the first tee, he was incredibly nice. Hey, what's your name? Oh, where are you from? Oh, my wife's from Massachusetts. And really, you know, when you're a caddy, a lot of times people don't talk to you unless they say how, what's the yardage, you know, that's the only thing they'll ask you. Yeah. And Will was like really nice, like included me in everything, which is, just above and beyond. And finally on like the 10th hole, the member was like, have you talked to him about the stuff you're doing? And I was like, no, I don't want to. And he's like, you want me to tell him? And I was like, if it comes up fine, but don't force it. I just let him enjoy his day. And the guy totally forgot to say anything to Will Ferrell. And then on the 12th hole, uh, he hit his drive a little left and he and I, the Will and I are walking over there and he kind of looked at me and he said, so what else are you doing out here? And I said, ah, you know, I'm acting. He said, oh, that's great. Are you doing comedy or drama? I said, comedy. He says, oh, that's amazing. Are you taking classes anywhere at the ground? He says, oh, that's where I took classes. I'm like, yeah, I know. I know. <laughs> yeah. And so he said, listen, the rest of the round, if you have any questions about anything, feel free to ask me. I'm totally willing to talk about it, whatever. I was like, God. So I asked him questions like, did you ever do stand up? And what was your, what did you do after college? And you know, he told me about trying stand up, but finding that the groundlings was a thing for him and getting on SNL and everything. And at the end of the round, um, he gave me a nice tip and he said, listen, you're throwing darts at a dartboard, keep throwing them and they're going to start to stick. And then he gave me like a bro hug. And I was like, this is the greatest moment of my entire life. Um, and, you know, that that will always stick with me. It's like Will Ferrell's like the my favorite ever. And I got, he got to be, I got to be in a situation with him where he really was like, listen, just keep push forward. It's like, and I've obviously kept that with me. That's how I try to think about everything. Just keep pushing forward. Yeah. Um, and yeah, that was a pretty cool experience. That's amazing. Also, what a great example of what to do with your fame and really shows you moving forward as you keep booking and getting more stuff that, there could be a time when you're in a situation and someone's looking up to you and you get to right. just be like, right. I, yeah. I now got, cause so often in life, we sometimes will learn from bad examples or people like, Oh, I don't right. want to be doing that, but it's right. really right. nice to be out in this business and meet someone of that echelon of that tier of, of, you know, comedy, godlike status yeah. being, uh, so genuine and so so kind yes. goes so far. Yes, yes, yeah. He could have easily been like, "Oh, that's interesting. That's great. I did that stuff too." But just tell me the yardage. Yeah, and I still would have liked him. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, I still would have been like, he wasn't a jerk. 
right. he's, he's still like the greatest like comedic actor in my opinion like ever yeah. you know but he he i really remember being like because you know they're they're members at this club who i don't know who the hell they are they're like lawyers or something and they're assholes and they don't care about your life and and they shouldn't they're just right. going to play a round of golf but he really you know the other three guys in the in the foursome are saying like hey uh, Will, what was the name of of the guy who played uh your stepdad and in, in stepbrothers? And he's like, Mister Dovac, and like everyone's like laughing and stuff. And then he'd be like, So, uh, you know, uh, how's everything going in your life? To me, I'm like, You don't have to do this, right? Yeah. Also, I think you had the right attitude because it's you know just like, look, they're just trying to play around golf. I'm here to assist and help. Yeah. Because <laughs> lesser people might be like. Okay, when I hand him this club, I'm gonna do my Wahlberg. I'm gonna do my, yeah. I'm gonna do my Stallone. I'm gonna really, yeah. Yeah. you know, just, just the whole time, just laying it on thick with impressions and characters. Yeah, you know, maybe yeah. a, grim, a gremlin as a caddy. A gr- <laughs> well, yeah. thanks so much for for hopping on. Do you have any any things coming out in the works? Any things for the viewers to look forward to? Where can they, I guess, follow you on Instagram and TikTok? You, no, I have absolutely nothing coming up. Uh, I. <laughs> I mean, you know, we're just hoping to get a, another season of I Love That For You. It was just, I, I, you know, really loved being part of the show, but I also really loved the show. And um, I hope it gets another chance to do another season. So look out for that. And then, yeah, everything, all all the little sketches and imp- impressions I do are just to, at John O. Wilson, J-O-H-N-N-O on TikTok and Instagram. Fantastic. Well, yeah. thanks again for jumping on. Really appreciate thanks it. Thanks for having me. And thanks again, listeners, for listening. I'm your host, Daniel Acker, and this has been Almost Almost Famous.